Church family, I'm excited because we're in week three of our series called uh, Kingdom Rhythms, and this is the third part of a larger series called The Uncommon Kingdom. And we're taking a look at what the kingdom of God is and what life for kingdom citizens looks like through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in a a part of the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is looking at three specific uh, rhythms or three what we might call spiritual disciplines in the lives of believers. He's looking, he's talking about giving, praying, and fasting. So what he's talking about in the first part of Matthew chapter 6. And he's dealing with those three in particular. We talked about um, a couple of weeks ago because these three were incredibly important in the life of the Jewish uh, people. They were called the three pillars. So every religious Jew did these three things, or at least they were expected to do them. And so Jesus is teaching them that way. But more importantly than that, what Jesus is establishing for us that we're discovering is in having these as a rhythm in our life and having these disciplines of giving and of praying and of fasting, it, it actually keeps us plugged in to God's provision and God's power in our life. And listen, that, that source of spiritual power matters to us. And these rhythms that we keep help keep us plugged into that. We learned uh, uh, several weeks back that uh, power matters. You know what I mean? I don't know if you remember about mid-February, a whole bunch of snow and ice fell around here and fell all over the state. And during those winter storms, we experienced uh, some blackouts. Now, we were very fortunate here. There were sections of the state that were really, really in a, a, a very difficult position. And we discovered something about the power grid in those sections of the state. Um, what we discovered was there was a, a lot of confidence in, in that Texas power grid. You know, really, the, the nation has, uh, if, if I understand right, three primary grids, kind of one that handles the east, one that handles the west, and then one that handles the state of Texas. And I'm not saying we get our own because we're better than everybody else, but I'm not not saying it. And so, um, we, <laughs> and so, so much of our state functions off of one power grid. And so we had this belief in that thing, but what we discovered through those really harsh conditions and through then the elevated demand for power was that power grid had some serious issues. And the weather didn't create the issues. Listen, those harsh conditions exposed them. It exposed the problem that was already there. And so it, what, it, what it told us was that power grid was never meant to handle those serious, uh, very difficult weather conditions and the high demand for power because that thing was moments away from crumbling. And so we discovered something uh, about that power source. And listen, um, I, I want you to know that I think for the last 12 months, We've been discovering um, that, that the, the power source sometimes in our lives and the spiritual source that we're pulling from can be faulty. Here's what I mean. Um, can you believe that 12 months ago is when everything shut down for COVID? Can you believe it's been a year? That just doesn't seem right, but it has been. And what we've discovered through these 12 months is that 
as those conditions, those harsh conditions that we dealt with were pulling on us, as, as COVID was pulling on us and as isolation began to pull on us and as um, social uh, uh, turmoil and unrest began to pull on us and political unrest that we've been through began to pull on us, it began to expose some spiritual deficiencies in us. Because here's what we've begun to see in the church over the last 12 months. And I'm not just talking about New Beginnings. I'm talking about the whole church in America. But I'm also talking about New Beginnings. I'm talking about Gilmer, Texas. And I'm talking about Longview, Texas. What we've seen exposed in us over these last 12 months is that we've got some faulty spiritual sources because there's been an exposed lack of godliness. There's been an exposed lack of, of focus on God's mission and an exposed lack of commitment to the bride of Christ and a, a, an exposed um, disinterest in the things that God has given us to know him like prayer. And we've discovered there's just been this exposing of our hearts. And this is why, listen, this is why New Beginnings is in the middle of a prayer revival. It is why we are gathering every week to pray because we need to re-engage that supernatural power of God and the presence of God and the priority of God in our life. And we need to re-engage and be refocused on His good purpose and His mission and we need to seek the face of God like never before. It is why we are doing these prayer gatherings. It is why we have reprioritized everything that we are as a church to make the prayer and the word of God the banner issues at New Beginnings. Nothing will be more important than that. And it, th this is why. And you say, well, I, I know that we're supposed to pray as believers, but isn't that something we do privately? That's just a thing we do, right? It's a private deal. Yes, we pray privately, but we also pray corporately. You know, I think for, for some of us as believers, we've adopted a false understanding of what it means to be a Christian, and we've acted like being a Christian is a private faith. This is the thing I, I keep private. But the reality is, belonging to Christ was never meant to just be private. It was meant to be corporate. It was meant to be something we did together. It was meant to be an experience we had together, which is why when someone comes to faith in Jesus, they were immediately grafted into the family of God and into the church and into the bride and body of Christ. Because the church is not a place I go. It's a people I belong to. That's what the church is. And you weren't meant to live your Christian life in isolation. You weren't meant to be a Rambo believer. We are meant to do this thing together. The church is a... My family doesn't come to church once a week to get a spiritual jolt and, and try to hit a wave that we're going to ride for the next six days until we flow back into here and need another spiritual jolt. This, this place is a people that I belong to. This is what this is. And God has given me this body and he has given you this body so that we might together pursue the good purposes of God. And we do that together through earnest corporate prayer and what we're going to look at this morning, which is fasting. So 
what would it look like? What would it really look like if New Beginnings became a people who sought God earnestly through fasting and through prayer? What would that look like if we became that people? And I want to tell you, over, starting today and over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack that. And we're going to see what these things look like when they are in our lives, these kingdom rhythms. And so this morning, I want you to grab your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 18, and we're going to look at what Jesus says about fasting. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 16. Now, if you were here last week, you know we've just jumped over um, the, the Lord's Prayer section where Jesus teaches us how to pray. We're going to come back to that in the next couple of weeks, but we're going to start in verse 16 today. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this, And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We're going to work our way through three things that Jesus shows us here about fasting. He's going to show us the practice of fasting. He's going to show us the purpose of fasting and the posture of fasting. What's the posture of our life and our heart if we're going to do this right? The practice, the purpose, and the posture. So let's jump in this morning and look at the practice of fasting. What is it? How do we do this? The practice of fasting. Jesus expects his disciples to fast. He expects us to fast. You see it right at the beginning of verse 16 and the beginning of verse 17. He says, and when you fast, verse 17, but when you fast. Again, just like the rhythm of giving that we looked at last week and the rhythm of prayer that we'll look at in the weeks ahead, Jesus does not say if you fast. He says when it, when you fast. Jesus assumes that we will be a people who fast. He assumes that we will be a people who will see the practice of fasting as absolutely essential in our spiritual lives and in our relationship with God. And we see this not only in the fact that he uses the word when, not if, but we see it in the context of of the other things he's teaching So he teaches us about prayer, and he teaches us about fasting, and he links these two things together, which means what? It means this, in the life of the believer, fasting is as essential to our relationship with God as prayer is. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I haven't spent my believing life as if that's true. I just haven't. And many of you are are in that boat as well. But what we see from the words of Christ is, in the same way that we view prayer, which is our spiritual breathing, it's it's our spiritual inhale and exhale, in the same way that we view that as absolutely vital to our relationship with God, Jesus is saying that same way, fasting is absolutely critical in our relationship with God. So what is it? Let's give it a let's give it a definition. Fasting is abstaining from something that we need or enjoy for the purpose of intense spiritual focus through Scripture and prayer. 
So abstaining from something that we need or enjoy for the purpose of intense spiritual focus and prayer. This is the intentional denying of ourselves the comfort that we find in the good things God has given like food so that we can run after God himself. This is the denying of our flesh in order, listen, to feed our souls. That's what fasting is. I want to leave that definition up for a minute. If you want to write that down, you can take a picture of it. Um, but this is the, the denying of our flesh in order to feed our souls. But let's just be honest for a minute. This is hard for us, isn't it? This is hard. Fasting is a difficult thing, and here's why. I think it's hard for us because it is, it is markedly countercultural to us. Th- think about our culture and about our society. We live in a consumeristic, self-gratifying, um, um, uh, instant gratification, slave to the moment kind of culture. We want the things that we want, and we want those things five minutes ago. You know what I mean? That's just how we are. And not only have we come to believe that we can have the things that we want when we want them, we've come to believe we should have them, that it is our right to have them, and no one dare interfere with my right to have what I want when I want. And I just want to tell you something. That mindset isn't just in our culture anymore. It has gotten into the church. It has gotten in the house, family. And when sin gets in the house like that, we got to deal with it. But God's people have settled into a rhythm of thinking, I'm going to have what I want, when I want, and don't you dare try to take it from me. That is a, that is a, a consumer mindset that has come in. And here's the evidence that we see of that. And we see it in the fact that we tend to push back against the things that make us uncomfortable in this place. We tend to push away from the things that are challenging to us, from the things that that pull away from the part that we like. We tend to push back against those things, which is why the reality is most Christians don't fast. We don't do this. We we treat fasting like the You guys know when you go to a restaurant, they give you the menu there's all the amazing, delicious things that you can order. And then tucked into the bottom corner on one of those pages is a section that says lean. You know that part? That part that you just want to, mm-mm, I see it, but I'm like, like it's not there. You know what I mean? It's where they hide the kale <laughs> is, in, is in that part of the mist where all the broccoli lives and the carrots and the unfried things. You know what I mean? They just hide those back in there. You know, nobody ever orders that. Um, seriously, we didn't come in for that. But we take this approach to fasting like that. I know it's there. I know it's in God's word. I know what it says, and I do believe it's good for me, but it's the last thing I want to do. And what I know is true in my own life, this is just personal confession, is I know I have forfeited meaningful spiritual blessings in my life by not keeping this as a rhythm. And I believe that's true of us as a church. But I want you to hear me, believers, family. Jesus expects us to do this. 
This is a kingdom expectation for those of us who belong to God. Jesus kind of elaborates a little bit more on this expectation of, of for his followers in Mark chapter 2. Jesus talks about fasting several places, but in Mark chapter 2, he's in this interesting conversation with some religious leaders. They come to him, and they've noticed that like the disciples of John fast, and the disciples of other religious leaders fast, and so they've come to Jesus and gone, hey, your disciples don't fast. Why do these guys fast, but your guys don't fast? And Jesus answers their question in Mark 2, verse 19, and he says, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest feast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Jesus is, he's, he's doing two things. One, he's giving an illustration, right? He's using the illustration of a wedding to say that these guys have the bridegroom with them. They're at a wedding right now, and nobody goes to a wedding and fast. Think of the last wedding you went to, right? If it was a fun one and a good one, there was something to snack on. And if they were really showing out, you know, they, they, they had a meal, right? Because a wedding is a celebration. And Jesus said, I'm with them. And because the bridegroom is with them, this is a party. They're not going to fast right now. So he's using this illustration, but he's also revealing something. He's declaring that everything his disciples have longed for has come because he's here. Jesus is saying all the prophecies, all the fasting, all the longing and waiting that God's people have done is coming to an end because I am here. He's revealing himself as the Messiah. But he does say a time of fasting is going to come. Look at what he says in verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So what is he talking about right there? Jesus is talking about that space of time between when he ascends and when he returns again. That's the window we're in right now. We're in the space of time from when Jesus ascended and while we are awaiting his return. And notice what Jesus says, in that time, they will fast. Jesus is saying that in my absence, there's going to be this yearning in our hearts and in, in our lives for his presence. There is this desire for him to return. And, and that, that is a desire that is born in the hearts of his followers that is then expressed through fasting. He's saying, my bride is going to ache and long for my return. We're going to desire his presence. We're going to need his direction and want his power and his deliverance and ultimately just for him to be with us. And that's the space of time we're in. Jesus said, now in that time, my people are going to fast. And if fasting is the intentional setting aside of something good in order to take hold of something greater, then we can say that where fasting is absent, a desire and hunger for the greater things of God is absent. And I think there is this missing hunger and missing desire because we've become satisfied with lesser things. We've become satisfied. Can I just be honest with you? Chips and salsa has ruined many good meals for me. Many good meals. Okay? 
When I go, Mexican food is my love language. I do, I do believe, I do, I'm just saying, it is a way that I'm reminded Jesus is on the throne. And um, <laughs> it is a love language issue. It is also a sin issue for me. And so um, when I go into La Finca or somewhere, I don't go in with chips and salsa on my brain. I go in with stuffed avocado on my brain. And if you hadn't had that, oh, man, it is ridiculous. But, I, I don't, but when I sit down at that table, man, they, they throw that basket of chips right in front of me and that salsa comes. And I, I, of course, I have to have the green sauce that goes with it because what else am I doing? And so <laughs> they, that gets on the table and three baskets later, my avocado shows up and I just go, that don't look that great anymore. <laughs> can I just get you to wrap that up? I know you just brought it here, but I can't eat it. Right? And that tends to be what happens to us. We, we tend to nibble on good things, and we miss the greater thing. John Piper said it this way. He said, in other words, in this age, there is an ache and a longing, a homesickness inside every Christian that Jesus is not here as fully and as intimately and as powerfully and as gloriously as we want him to be. And that is why we fast. And if you don't feel a strong desire for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk too deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Help us long for the great things. Put out a flavor, the little things that are ruining our appetite for you. That's the practice of fasting. What is the purpose of it? Let's look at that. Purpose of fasting. Fasting aligns our hearts with God's heart as we pursue his presence and his power. So it's taking things that are out of line and aligning. It's aligning our hearts with God's heart in pursuit of his presence and his power. Jesus said in verse 17, But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is making clear. He's making a very clear point here, and it is this. We fast to encounter God. That's the purpose, to encounter God. This is a physical means by which we declare our need for and our desire for more of God in our lives. It is, it is saying, I am willing to feel this sense of emptiness, this sense of need, this sense of a hunger in me, so that it will remind me of the greater need I have for God and the greater satisfaction and feasting that I find in Him. It's putting our stomach where our heart is, if you will. And Jesus is saying that his kingdom citizens are going to be okay with intentionally having a time where they feel a sense of loss or a sense of hunger or a sense of emptiness because in feeling that, it is going to drive them to the... The, the reality that God satisfies like nothing else. 
And it's when Jesus tells us how to fast and the purpose of it, I think he's making clear some things here. One is that we do not fast to impress God. Right? We don't fast to impress God. We fast to experience God. Which means this. Fasting is not about the absence of food or the absence of something we enjoy. Fasting is about the presence and experiencing God. That's what it's about. And it just reminds us of our desperate need for Him. Fasting helps remind me that this life I have in Christ and belonging to Him is in no way about me. Fasting reminds me that Jesus did not say, deny your neighbor, take up your comfort, and follow your dreams. If your Bible has that version, you're going to need to burn that thing before you get out of here. Because what did it say? Jesus said, I want you to deny who? And then I want you to take up your what? Your cross, and I want you to follow me. That's what, that's what Jesus said. This is about a feasting on and a delighting in God above everything else. And when uh, we aren't in fasting, we aren't earning anything from God. We're just declaring to God that you are everything to us. You know, I went on a uh, mission trip some years back to Africa, and I was gone for a little over two weeks. And at that point, it was the longest I had ever been away from home and been away from my family. And I didn't know homesickness was a real thing. I would hear people say homesick, and I would be like, oh, you're just being a baby. Suck it up. Right? That's real. There was this long, I longed by about day seven or eight I had, I longed so much to be home and to be with my family. I began to feel bad. Physically, I just felt bad, right? And then when I got home, it was this great celebration. And listen, we went out to dinner and we sat down and we ate, but I cannot tell you where we went or what we ate. You want to know why? Because the food wasn't the point. I was feasting on my family, and when we, when we fast, it is an intentional setting aside of things that we would normally backfill where God belongs in order to look at God and say, I want to feast on you. That's what it is. So how does it work? How does it do that for us? When we fast, every time that we feel the pain of hunger, right? every time we feel that craving that for, for that thing we're fasting from, it is a reminder to earnestly seek Him and to depend on Him and to rest in His strength and to trust in His nourishment for us. In other words, the hunger pain is supposed to become an alarm that goes off in us that calls us to prayer. Everybody knows those hunger pains, right? You ever been sitting in a, a public space? Your body makes that unique sound that our bodies make, you know, and you're pretty sure... Everybody just heard it, <laughs> right? Because when my body makes that noise, it feels like I swallowed a microphone. It's the loudest thing in history, right? It shakes the earth. And, and so we, we know that, 
that pain. We know that moment when our body begins to feel that sense of emptiness and, and that craving begins to hit. And in fasting, Jesus is saying, when you feel that, that is the alarm going off that it's time to pray. That it's time to to desperately begin to pursue God and to ask him that he would give you a unique measure of his presence and an unleashing of his power in you and through you. And as we do this and set this as a rhythm, it aligns our hearts with his. There's something I've noticed that fasting does for me. I've just discovered it in my own life, and I believe it's true in all of our lives, and that is this. Fasting has a unique way of exposing what I've turned into idols. It, it just has a unique way of exposing what I've turned into idols. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with food. Bless the Lord, right? There's not. We are Southern Baptists. We do food well. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with food. God has given us good things to eat, good things to drink, and these good things from God are meant to turn our eyes toward God in thanksgiving to Him. But here's the reality. We are prone to love these things wrongly. If I'm honest with you, I have to tell you, food is a sin issue in my life, and it has been all of my life. It's a sin issue for me. I don't care one bit about social media. If I have to look at it, it's because my wife pulled it up on her phone and goes, can you believe this? That's, that's the only reason I see it. I really don't care about television. I really don't care about those things. But if you pull some biscuits out of the oven, I get messed up. I'm just telling you. I get sideways and something in me goes, you should probably eat that whole pan. And I go, you're right. I should do that. <laughs> It's a sin issue in my life Um, because I'm prone to love good things, but I'm prone to love them wrongly. And so are you. We're prone to loving the things God has given more than we love the God who gave them. Are you with me? And what happens is these things become substitutes for God. And when that happens, it becomes idols. So let me ask you, what are the things that you are medicating your life with? Is it food? Is it social media? Is it this little square that lives in our pockets? Is it television? What what are those things that we have turned into idols. And the reason I know that they have become idols in our lives is because of what comes out of our hearts when we don't have them. Frustration, anger, short temper, impatient. These are the things that come out of my heart. Well, when I am missing something and that's what comes out of me as a result of not having it, that thing is an idol in my life. Fasting has a way of revealing these things that we have turned into idols and things that we have used to medicate a deficient relationship with God. 
And church, I want you to hear me. We need our idols exposed. It is, it is a mercy, isn't it? It is a grace of God that he would expose our idols, that he would show us these things where we are medicating that deficient relationship because here's the reality. There are some obstacles we are going to face in this life. There are some things we're going to encounter and some things we're going to deal with that will not be overcome outside of intensive prayer and fasting Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And there is this question that is absolutely burning in my heart, in my own life, and for you, and for us as a church. And it is, how would we ever expect to do warfare against that enemy, against the authorities of darkness, if I can't even put down my fork or put down my phone? How am I going to pull down the stronghold of Satan if I can't put down a remote and fix my eyes on God? How do I do it? How do I become this man? How do I become a man who can wage into the spiritual battle and do war against the enemy and war against the unseen things? It is not on my phone. It is not at my table. It is in this book and it is pursuing the God of the universe through prayer and through fasting because my enemy is supernatural, so my weapon better be. I just spit all over everything up here. I need a squeegee. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is prayer and fasting is the engaging of our hearts into the spiritual battle. And church, I want you to hear me say this. Spiritual warfare is a reality whether you see it or not. The enemy is described as a roaring lion. You know what lions do? They look for stuff to destroy and eat and tear apart and rip down. That's your enemy. And he's prowling the earth. He's walking circles around your life looking for the weak spot looking for that sin issue, looking for that area you're not covering in prayer, looking for those blind spots where you've allowed yourself to become callous to a sin habit, looking for those places where God has said this should be a priority, but you've said I'm not going to make it a priority, and he's finding those places so he can begin to put you in shackles and put you in bondage. And Jesus is saying you will not find a natural solution to that. You've got to engage your heart in the supernatural, which is through prayer and through fasting. This has been true from the beginning. When Moses fasted, he received the word of God. When King Jehoshaphat fasted, he received victory in battle. When Esther fasted, she received 
protection. When Elijah fasted, he was restored and renewed. When Daniel fasted, he was supernaturally fed and strengthened. When Joel fasted, he offered the cure for the judgment. When um, Nehemiah fasted, he was strengthened to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. When Jesus fasted, he was empowered to go out and change the world by living a perfect life and dying on the cross. And that is the kind of victory and desperation and longing and power I want to see right here at New Beginnings. Do you want that? In that, there is no shortcut to that. But if I'm honest with you, I love shortcuts. I love the easy way. I love the way that doesn't cost me much. But there is no shortcut to this life of overcoming and this life of blessing and this life of intimacy with God and this life of supernatural power and freedom. There is no shortcut to this. This is only given through gumming back to the foundational, core, basic, non-negotiables of prayer and fasting. That's the purpose of it. Here's the last thing that I want us to see. I want you to see the posture of fasting. So what is, what's the position, what's the posture of our heart when we do this? Authentic fasting is pursued humbly, prayerfully, and intentionally. Humbly, prayerfully, and intentionally. Look again at what Jesus said in our verses. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I think Jesus is showing us three things in the posture. Humility, prayer, and intentionality. So we approach fasting humbly. What does that mean? Jesus is teaching us here that fasting is not about getting people's attention. It is about encountering God's presence. We need to assume the posture of humility so that when you fast, smile, wash your face, Comb your hair. We're not, we're not announcing with our body language that we're fasting because fasting is not some sort of spiritual trophy we get to set in the righteous trophy case. We approach this humbly. If I'm doing fasting right, God's the only one that knows I'm doing it. Are you with me? So it's humble. It's prayer, prayerful. We have to approach um, fasting prayerfully. Again, we said uh, uh, fasting and prayer go hand in hand. Jesus teaches these in context together, which means this. You can pray and not be fasting. But you, church, you can't be fasting and not be praying. Now, a lot of people fast for different reasons. There's lots of, there's medical fast and fast for diet and health reasons and cleansing. And and that's all, that's fine. I've done those. That is great. But when you are fasting biblically, You cannot be fasting and not praying. They are intrinsically linked to one another. 
That's why he teaches these together, because fasting is a way that intensifies our spiritual focus in prayer. It creates the space for prayer. So that when I would normally fill it, let's say you're fasting for one meal a day, which by the way, there's lots of ways to fast. Lots of things to fast from. I recognize that for some of you medically, fasting is not a reality. And I would never ask you to do that. I would ask, so what are the things you can fast from? That's what I would ask you. For me, I can fast from food. It's easy to fast from TV and social media and my phone. That's actually not hard at all. Um, But when I fast, it's meant to create space so that in the time I would normally be eating, I turn that time into praying. That's that's the approach that we take. It's it's prayerful, right? It, 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 It positions us to feel a sense of weakness because that drives us to the deeper dependence on God. And I believe that prayer moves the heart of God. I believe that. And I believe, again, that there are some things we're going to deal with, some problems that we're going to face that aren't going to be overcome outside of intensive prayer and fasting. I think about Mark chapter 9, when Jesus' disciples were trying to cast that unclean spirit out of the young man, and they couldn't do it. Do you remember what Jesus said in verse 17 of Mark chapter 9? He said this, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? In other words, boys, if you aren't praying and fasting, you're not going to overcome this one. We're going to face those things. There's just some things in our life that aren't going to change outside of fervent prayer. So it's humble, it's prayerful, and it's intentional. What do I mean by that? Fasting has a purpose. We have to give it a purpose. Meaning, Let's say you were to try to fast tomorrow. You're going to go, you know what? I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to fast from lunch tomorrow. Then in that time, you have a specific thing you're asking God for. You're praying a specific thing. Maybe you're asking God for freedom from a sin. You're asking God for, um, as an expression of repentance. Maybe you're repenting. Maybe you're asking God for deliverance from something in your life. Or you're asking Him for the salvation of someone you love. Or the reconciliation of a relationship that's broken. Or maybe you're just asking God to experience Him more deeply. The point is, it's intentional. So we identify that purpose. Why are we fasting? And then we set a time aside for that fast, and we determine what type of fast it's going to be, and then we get after doing it. That's what it means. I want to tell you, in the next couple of weeks, Pastor Todd is going to be giving us kind of a guide for fasting that's going to help us do this. But this is why we are prioritizing corporate prayer. It is why I'm asking every single person that calls New Beginnings home to be here on Wednesday nights and come and pray with us. Because I believe the renewal and the revival that God wants to do, He is only going to do in the same rhythm He's been doing from the beginning of time. From the beginning of time, when God's people prayed and fasted, He moved. 
revival broke out. Strongholds came down. Enemies were overcome. Inexplicable provision was given. Missionaries were sent out. And the glory of God was on full display. And I want that right here in church. We need a fresh outpouring of God's presence. We need this. So this is what we are doing. The weekend before Easter this year, we're going to do something called a solemn assembly on March the 26th and 27th, right in there. And it's going to be 20, we're going to call our church to 24 hours of prayer and fasting. And we're going to get into the worship center and you'll have an opportunity to sign up for a time. Matter of fact, we started that last week. You can do that this morning. Ben's going to tell you how here in just a minute. Um, signing up for a time where you um, come in and you pray for an hour. Or maybe you read God's Word for an hour. But as a church, we're going to pray and we're going to read God's Word and we're going to fast for 24 hours so that we can see an outpouring of God's presence in our church and over our Easter services. And so how I want to close this morning is a, l- a little different. Um, rather than having guys you know, uh, I'll stand down the front and that sort of thing. Um, some of our ministers will be on the front rows. And listen, if you need just somebody to pray with you this morning, there's an issue in your life, or uh, maybe you've sat this morning and realized I, I'm not even a believer. I, don't, I haven't even made Jesus the Lord of my life. I want you to come and sit beside them, and they'll help you take that step. What I want for the rest of us this morning, if, if you've come to any of our prayer gatherings, you know this is something we do. We have very specific things that we pray for together. Specific things that we ask God to do in our lives. And there's four things that I want us to pray together corporately this morning before we leave. There are some things that I want us to pray. I'm going to put these in front of you. The first is this. I want God to save numerous people on Easter weekend. We've been praying for eight weeks that God would save 100 people before we even get to Easter. Now we're going to begin to pray that God would save dozens and dozens on Easter weekend. And I want, you to, I want us to pray this corporately. Pray that, uh, that God would pour out His presence and His power and He would bring a revival to new beginnings. We are asking God to give us a revival in this place. We're going to ask God to give us divine direction and open doors to advance His mission. God, what do you want us to do? Would you open the door for us to go do it? We're asking for the wisdom for that. And then we're asking for unexplainable resources to accomplish that mission. God, whatever that supernatural thing is you're calling us to, would you provide the supernatural resources for us to go do it? So that's the four things. That God would save on Easter weekend. He would bring revival to his church. He would open doors and give direction for what he wants us to do. And he would provide the resources to do it. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me right where you are. And we're going to pray over these things together. And if you are comfortable doing this, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud with me. If you've come to our Wednesday gatherings, you know that sometimes we just pray out loud together. If you're not, no worries. I'm asking you to still pray these things. That's why they're on the screen for you so that you can see them. For those of you who are comfortable praying out loud, I want us to pray and ask God to do this. And I'm asking you to pray with me, believing that he's going to. 
to pray believing that he's going to. So would you just pray that way? If you're comfortable, pray out loud. If not, let's pray these things. Let's pray, come on. So, Lord, we ask that you would save. We ask that you would bring revival and renewal. God, we ask that you would give us direction and vision for what you're calling us to do. And we ask that you would provide the resources to do it. Lord, we need you. We long for you. Would you move in our body right here at New Beginnings? God, in my heart and in the lives of your people, would you not let us be comfortable with religion and the spiritual practices we've kept up to today, but Lord, would you give us a holy desire for more of you, more of you. That's that in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys be seated.